Hello, and welcome to the weekly market podcast from BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Agne Rakeskite, who is an equity investment analyst at Impacts Asset Management with a particular expertise in companies operating along the food and agriculture chain. So welcome to you, Agne. Uh, Before I turn to you and we talk about what's happening uh, in the world around food and agriculture and climate change, uh, a bit of an update on what we're seeing in the markets. Volatile week, things had been going reasonably well, but over the last couple of weeks, certainly a lot more red numbers on our screens. And the key driver really does seem to be uh, the sharp increase in infections that we're seeing, particularly in Europe, uh, but of course, not only there, uh, also rising quite sharply in the US. Now that said, uh, developed markets are underperforming emerging markets uh, since for the most part, uh, EM at this point, relatively speaking, has a pandemic better under control. Certainly that's the case in Asia. Uh, but also at the same time, Europe underperforming the U.S., but the concern primarily that the sell-off you're seeing in the U.S. is partly in anticipation of what may be ahead for America. Uh, is Europe really just a couple weeks ahead of the U.S. in terms of the pandemic uh, because the weather really hasn't gotten quite as cold yet in the U.S.? I think another reason uh, that U.S. investors are a little bit more concerned is given the way the election uh, is looking, scenarios that after the election you have little possibility necessarily of any stimulus package coming out of the lame duck Congress, which means you're waiting until January or February uh, to get that extra support that the economy may well need uh, if states and cities start to shut down uh, in order to prevent further spreads of the virus. Now, what we're seeing in terms of market reactions besides uh, the downturn in equities, interestingly, treasury yields have actually risen over this period. So you haven't had uh, a lot of the typical risk-off moves that you see in this environment. Uh, Treasury yields actually rising. And if you look at what's behind that increase, it's actually real yields that are going up, not inflation expectations, uh, which also partly explains why equities aren't particularly happy uh, with this because a rise in real yields uh, less beneficial for equities than an increase in inflation expectations might be. That increase in real yields uh, also helps explain why you've seen gold turn down as well, uh, as opposed to rising, as you might assume, people looking for safe havens. The other similarity, though, that we do see with the sell-off that we had in March and April during kind of the first wave of the coronavirus, uh, a lot of the underperformers are, as you would expect, department stores, hotels, oil and gas, and airlines as we kind of move back towards lockdown mode. Uh, That said, technology in general, entertainment doing pretty well, uh, and part of the outperformance of tech certainly related to uh, would have been you know, frankly, quite good results for the third quarter from technology, uh, not only showing an increase in earnings year on year, which very few sectors have been able to do, uh, but also beating expectations. So for the rest of the sectors in general, that's what we've seen, beating expectations, positive earnings surprises. But of course, people thinking now that was third quarter, uh, what's going to happen in the fourth? Well, that's our market recap. So now let's turn to our guest speaker. And Agne, if I can try to segue uh, from what we've been discussing to what your area of expertise is, 
Uh, one of the realizations, perhaps, over the last several months uh, with the big fiscal stimulus package that we've seen globally, we're talking, of course, trillions of dollars, uh, and that has made the discussion around Green New Deals and the kind of investments that are necessary for climate change not seem so large anymore. Uh, so could you talk about the changes in particular, say, in global land use, agriculture and human diets, and what changes that will be required there to limit global warming? Right, so food production and agriculture have a very large impact on the environment. The production requires a lot of water, a lot of land. It leads to greenhouse gas emissions. And in some regions, there's also the problem of over-application of fertilizer, where it can run off into rivers and, and surrounding groundwater. And livestock has a particularly large impact. About 14.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock production. And uh, the majority of that is, is attributed to deforestation, where natural forests are converted to produce crops, which are then used for feed. But also uh, beef and dairy cattle emit methane uh, during the digestion process. What is very encouraging, though, for us is that awareness of these issues is growing and um, today's consumer has a very different relationship with food. So whereas perhaps the prior generations were, when it came to food, they were a bit more focused on brands and on price. The younger generations in particular, the millennials, are a lot more conscious around uh, what is in their food, so the ingredients, but also where the food comes from and the, both the, the environmental and the social impact of what they're consuming. And so that has, um, all over the world, that has led to a rise in flexitarianism. And that is when consumers are making the conscious choice to reduce the consumption of um, environmentally damaging foods, such as meat and dairy, and are replacing that with plant-based products. Uh, meat alternatives, for example, plant-based meats, uh, the production of those products generate up to 90% fewer greenhouse gas emissions. They also require a lot less land and a lot less water to produce. The growth in that category has been very strong prior to, prior to, the, um, to the pandemic. But what's very encouraging is that the consumption has been very strong even during the, the period of COVID-19. And part of that is because uh, consumers are becoming a lot more conscious around their health, yeah, so consumers are simply looking for solutions that will help to boost their immune systems. When we think about agricultural systems, the other big issue is food waste. About 30 to 40 percent of food globally is, is wasted and doesn't actually get consumed. So when you think about all the sort of embodied resources that, that go into the production, um, the production of food, they're simply wasted because they don't end up getting, con con um, getting consumed. You know, we are eating more fresh food, we're eating a lot more food on the go, and that tends to be more perishable, tends to have a shorter shelf life, and therefore leads to higher waste, um, wastage rates. And so that is another sort of big area that needs to be solved um, in order to lower the environmental impact of food production. In addition to the negative environmental impact of meat eating, there's also a negative social impact, which has certainly been laid bare by coronavirus. Could you talk about how you take this social aspect into account when investing? Absolutely. So the social impacts of meat production were definitely laid bare during the pandemic. We saw the greatest impact in the spring around April or May time, uh, where many slaughterhouses and many pro meat processing plants were forced to shut because they became COVID hotspots. We saw this all over the world, actually. But in the US, the impact was probably the greatest because the industry there is a lot more consolidated. So if you would, if you shut down a single plant, you actually take out a significant chunk of overall capacity. And so the consumers began to experience 
that because they started to see shortages of meat on the shelves. And this is really interesting because it happened for a few reasons. Those meatpacking plants and slaughterhouses are, tend to be sort of very closed, biosecure environments where the air is recirculated. And so once you have a worker in there who is infected with the virus, that just gets recirculated. They're also quite cold environments where the virus is able to stay on the surface for a little bit longer. The levels of mechanization are also quite low, particularly in, in pork and cattle processing. Chicken is a bit more mechanized because the chicken carcass is more um, homogenous. Whereas pig and cattle, uh, the carcasses tend to be bigger and, you know, each one is a bit different. So it's more difficult to automate. And what that means is that you need a lot of people. You have these long production lines, very crowded, people standing shoulder to shoulder, and it's just the perfect environment for the virus to spread. And the other important thing that it highlighted was that, especially in the US and Europe, in the, those meat processing plants tend to rely on migrant labor. And the workers tend to live in uh, sort of community houses quite close to the slaughterhouses. And so after each shift, they will go home and, you know, they, they basically will stay together and again, uh, enabling the virus to spread. And so that led to uh, many slaughterhouses having to close. Um, at the peak, um, the utilization rates were down sort of 35 to 40%. And in order to sort of get the production back online, the industry has had to spend hundreds of millions of dollars just to be able to, to you know, just to get the production back online. They had to invest in air conditioning. They had to invest in plastic dividers for, for employees in PPE, such as face masks and gloves, um, temperature checks. They also had to amend their shifts, which was a direct cost because it led to more downtime. And so, you know, um, it really just highlighted the weaknesses in the supply chain and and the costs that are associated in in tackling those weaknesses. You know, for us as investors, it, it was it, it, those sort of risks were laid bare. What do you see then as the solutions for investors seeking to position for the changes that will be necessary to our agricultural systems and dietary habits? Yes, agricultural production is um, will definitely need to transition to become more sustainable. Supply chains will also need to become more resilient. And as that transition takes place, for us as investors, you know, we will we think about risks and opportunities um, as that transition takes place. So livestock production is definitely an area of risk, partly because of changing consumer habits that I just talked about, and partly because of these ESG risks, um, again, highlighted, um, highlighted by the pandemic. Um, in terms of opportunities, there are numerous opportunities, and we take a value chain approach, uh, meaning that we invest across different parts of the value chain, um, because we believe that as that transition takes place, um, um, the, the solution providers exist across the different parts of the value chain. So, for example, we will need better feed for livestock, which will help to improve their, um, which will help to improve feed conversion. That will help farmers to lower the greenhouse gas emissions um, of their livestock. Precision agriculture is another solution that, that that we're quite excited about. That will help to lessen the environmental impact by lowering the use of agricultural inputs. Within meat processing, we expect to see more automation. AI, for example, will maybe utilize to help um, to help avoid having those crowded environments. Food waste is another area of opportunity, um, and we see opportunities across the many different parts of the value chain, whether it's agricultural equipment, um, perhaps within commodity handling, or natural ingredients, which will help to extend the shelf life and therefore reduce wastage in food. Or sustainable packaging is another interesting area of opportunity. As it relates to, to dietary habits, 
I mentioned already, we are seeing a big rise in flexitarianism. Plant-based dairy and plant-based meats are definitely becoming mainstream. They've gone from being a very niche category that was targeted for many years, that was targeted at vegans and vegetarians only. And now it's being targeted to the main consumer, to the mainstream consumer. We saw that dynamic a few years ago in, in, in the dairy category where uh, there was a strategic change in the way that the products were being merchandised in store, where they went from being um, merchandised sort of in aseptic cartons and segregated specialty aisles to then being uh, merchandised in more sort of mainstream refrigerated dairy aisles. And for the consumer, that's just it's, it's all about access and making the product more visible and much more accessible. There's a lot, there's a lot of innovation in the space as well. Oat milk um, last year had very strong growth um, and we're seeing now the same in plant based meats as well. You know, that approach to merchandising is shifting. They're now being sold alongside meat instead of just being sold in segregated um, specialty aisles. Um, and so, you know, we're quite excited about that strong growth in, in the plant-based category. Um, I think, you know, the, in terms of the opportunities, again, we see opportunities across the whole value chain. Um, the obvious players are the food producers that have direct exposure to these categories, but they're not the only beneficiaries. As a result of um, greater demand for yellow um, plant-based protein, we're seeing increased demand for yellow pea. And so we are seeing uh, new processing facilities opening up to help process um, those products into protein isolates. Ingredient companies are having to work with food producers to make sure that the, their products taste and smell like meat, that they look like meat and that they behave like meat during the cooking process. There's a lot of it, really interesting development happening at the moment, terms of reformulating the, the existing products and making the ingredients healthier. Um, and then, of course, downstream as well, food distributors and the retailers and restaurants, there's a lot of incentive for them to, um, to add these types of products to the menus because it does bring in um, new consumers. So if we think then about how we all try to minimize climate change, you highlighted how uh, the raising of livestock, the raising of feed for livestock is a big contributor to greenhouse gases. And of course, now the effort to reduce that and partly driven by the change in mentality, the change in culture, particularly with millennials uh, who care much on potentially care more about this uh, than their parents might have done and have adopted what you called flexitarian uh, diets, trying to choose uh, how to eat in a way that minimizes that climate impact. Uh, perhaps one of the surprising consequences of the coronavirus pandemic is how it ended up highlighting uh, what turned out to be very poor working conditions in meat packing and processing plants, and again, focused uh, attention on the social aspects uh, of the food that we eat and how it's produced. And we need to take into account not only the environmental impact, but also the human impact. And then finally, your point from an investment point of view, thinking about the changes that are going to be necessary for agricultural production to become more sustainable, but it's exactly in those changes that creates the risk, creates the opportunities that you look for as an investor. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BMP Paribas Asset Management contact. Uh, my thanks to your audience for joining us this week. We hope you will join us next week when I'll be speaking with Dominic D'Alto, CIO of our fixed income business. With that, again, my thanks to Agne and to you. Take care and goodbye. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice. 
or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.